Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dynamics Podcast. My name is Frédéric Satra, and uh, we're back. Yeah, new season, uh, new guests, new people. But uh, again, I couldn't do it without my my trusted accomplice, of course. Hello, Tommy. Hi, Frederick. Thank you so much for keeping me in in the loop. <laughs> well, yeah. So um, it's been a while since we did a podcast. Now, Isn't yeah, it? yeah. And um, I, I thought we, we, it, it was about time. Uh, I had a discussion with one of my colleagues today, and I saw that on my blog. It's been two years uh, since I actually put something in there, so um, uh, it's time to give something back. You think we've been missed? <laughs> You think the oh, audience has missed us? I don't know. If it, well, if you've missed us and you haven't already subscribed, <laughs> please do so. Uh, it's going to be a different type of podcast this uh, this year, this season. Um, I'm thinking we'll do shorter episodes with a lot more focused content. Um, so this is going to be a, a special episode where we just talk about what's what's been happening and and what's going on, and we'll we'll jump into some topics uh, in the next podcast. All right. So. Um, well, I started at Microsoft. That's the main reason why I, why I actually started uh, stopped doing the podcasts. Um, there was just too much to do, and that was a really good excuse for a while. But uh, after it, it just got old, so it was about time to kind of pick it up again. And um, and in the meantime, Tommy, you also did a transition. So I'm, I'm thinking we had a. I, it wasn't meant to be, but it kind of become a catchphrase. Like uh, so, Tommy. Uh, Tell us, please tell us who you are, what you do, and how'd you get there? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, it's, you're right. It's been over a year since we did uh, anything on this podcast. So uh, I hope the audience um, has missed us a little bit. Uh, I missed doing this because uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, we get to talk about interesting topics. Um, so yeah, how do, where am I now? I'm at Microsoft, started there in, in February, been there for half a year. Uh, before that, I was 10 years in the Partner Channel, uh, working with you, Frederick, um, for 10 years. Yep. So, uh, and uh, right now I'm working at uh, the R&D uh, department uh, with the product I love, which is Dynamics uh, 365 for finance operations. Now it's uh, slightly changed in name. It's finance and SCM and... and uh, commerce, yeah. commerce and retail. Or commerce and retail, yeah. No, commerce, commerce and talent. So. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I get a feeling I have to bite my tongue and make sure that I don't say anything that I'm not supposed to say, uh, even more so than when I was an MVP, because um, that's also true. I was MVP for six years before before I started at Microsoft, and when you start at Microsoft, you have to throw that under the bus. Um, but um, I really love working at Microsoft, and I, I love the, the connection and uh and in my day-to-day -day work, I get to talk to partners and customers uh, all over the world. And it's uh, really, really cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what's funny is that I, I don't think we could be further apart within the Microsoft organization. If we, we look up the tree, our first common kind of supervisor, let's call, it, call him that, uh, would be Sachin Adela. Oh. Uh, you didn't know that. Nope. No, I haven't. I haven't checked that actually. <laughs> so, I'm I'm under the the sales and marketing department, which is headed up by Jean Philippe Cotois, and you're under R and D, which is headed up by um, by Scott Guthrie. Yep. So uh, yeah, but we're still working on the same product, and that's how we're kind of organized. I work in a, every day with sales, and you work every day with uh, helping them 
move on from there. Yeah, so that's also, I, I didn't mention it, but I, I do work uh, at R&D with the Fast Track uh, program. And Fast Track is anyone who has been part of implementing finance operations uh, has seen Fast Track at some, at, at some level. Cause, uh, well, hopefully they have. Yeah, hopefully. And maybe <laughs> some have heard about Fast Track in relation to, let's say, Azure or Office or other products at Microsoft. But for finance operations, at least, FastTrack is involved for every single implementation. So even uh, even the smallest ones uh, get get in touch with the FastTrack program, yeah. uh, which I find to be a very really good thing. Uh, it's a good investment on on Microsoft's side, to be to be honest. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, because we do have more skin in the game now with the customers. I think before it was just partners fronting everything, and Microsoft was just a product. Uh, mm. But now we do have, as it is a service, and we have to make sure that it's, it's properly set up and that the customers get a good experience of it. And not that partners can't do that, but it's just a, an additional kind of quality assurance that that is working. Uh, so so what, what do you do every day when you, when you get up and, and turn on your computer? What's, what's the first thing kind of that meets you? If you can talk about it, if it's a secret time, we'll move <laughs> no, on to something. <laughs> it's, no, I, I sure I can talk about it. I I've been advised not to check my emails in the morning, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's typically what I do. Uh, there's even this analytical stuff uh, that we have here at Microsoft that tells me that um, I'm checking my email too often, uh, apparently. So. Uh, oh yeah, it's uh, it's the you're talking about my analytics. My, my analytics, yes, yep. that's right. So uh, I, I got a warning yesterday. I'm, I'm checking my emails often, <laughs> but uh, that, that's why I will start my day. Um, uh, my primary uh, business is actually looking at the uh, the projects that are in the essentials program of, of Fast Track, and uh, they are in the hundreds, uh, even in the thousands. I mean, there's so many of them, and they keep coming in uh, every single day. More projects are added on on the uh, global basis. And uh, we have people taking care of the different uh, regions of the world. So you have Americas, EMEA, and, and APAC. Uh, and every single project gets through uh, an onboarding phase. Um, and um, and we, we discussed what we, what we can touch upon in, in this, um, in this uh, podcast. And one of the things I see uh, some partners end up with is they, they think they can purchase the product and then they can get um, production, say next week or, or this week, <laughs> but but that's not the case. Uh, there is a process now that is uh, fairly well documented, I would say, on docs, uh, where you can tell that every project needs to go through a phase where it's getting matured uh, into a place where uh, they will uh, get production environment. But there. I'm not. I don't want to use the word gatekeeping, but it's almost like a little bit of a gatekeeping to make sure that um, uh, the customer and the partner is uh, ready, so they have a, a certain level of readiness before they they uh, can start with the production environment. Uh, and I think one of the reasons uh, some some implementations are turned upside down is is because of what we know from previous versions of the product, uh, where in earlier versions of the product um, you would perhaps much sooner go ahead and, and start configuring production and then copy it downwards, uh, downstream to yep. your pre-prod and, and development environment. But it's almost turned upside down with, with the cloud solution because you want to make sure everything is ready before you get production. Mm. Yep. Uh, so 
And then you, you run into this, well, I need to have a, a golden configuration uh, set up, and then I need to copy that around from my, my golden environment over to my, my pre-production environment, and then finally to my, my production environment. Uh, and there's a whole, let's say, a whole database uh, lifecycle management you have to consider uh, that I th maybe some partners are not um, accustomed with and, and not, haven't done before. So, yeah. I think they're getting there. Because I, I, yeah. getting into this new world was, was a bit different. And I think also partners now have to fundamentally think differently on how they implement and how they run the projects. Uh, I I remember the the, the the I like the analogy where where you go before when you started the project you you ran through it you did the implementation and then you got to the the end line and that was kind of goal production is up and running and and it started now we can we can leave the customer alone for a while and and let them let them be after kind of they stabilize that startup but I think now it's more of a, instead of getting to the finish line we're just getting to the starting line and then we will do much more. And I think it's important to scope down. And I don't think every partner actually is prepared for the, the maintenance and upkeep and, and, and connection they have to have with the customers. If the customers are, well, if they're, they're well off, with, they can just run it themselves. Um, but I think many partners need to kind of change the mentality of when they go live, that's when the party starts. That's when you can actually start doing more for the customers. So um, yeah. And, and also, uh, if, if uh, a lot of partners have matured, obviously, uh, right. doing a lot of, of implementations, but also the process that FastTrack is sort of pushing has also matured. Um, if you did implementations back in 2016, 2017, the process uh, was slightly different uh, compared to how it is today. Mm. Uh, so, and, and the process has also come to place where it is today because of the experience um, Microsoft has with all of the different implementations out there. If you think about it, any any specific partner will have any experience within that partner, and they might not have like a broader communication with other partners and other implementations. So they are basing their work out of their own experience, and it might even be within that specific partner that uh, only a subset of those professionals uh, have that skill set and knowledge. Uh, so when Microsoft is working with this, it's working across partners, across implementations, uh, so they can see what is a good pattern, what's a good methodology, um, and try to share that. Because it's also uh, uh, very important to emphasize that FastTrack is not there to, to, do, to replace the partner in any sense. Uh, it's there to drive customer and partner success and make sure that uh, the implementation is a success. That's yeah. the whole point of it. Yeah. So we do have two different, you said you were part of the essentials team, which is, uh, is, is what everybody gets, I, I would assume. Or, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we have an additional offering for people who kind of do some pre-commit or have a, a, a larger, uh, a larger commitment to, to the, to the product. And, and they start off with a, a larger set of, uh, at least for the bigger customers, I would say, um, yep. where they, they need additional attention or what what do you kind of get with that what do we call that is that just fast track yeah we it? it's fast track standard fast track regular or just fast track but in a sense it's um 
uh, a more uh, higher touch involvement from Microsoft to uh, sort of help and drive uh, success for the bigger implementations. So uh, right now it's um, based out of how many uh, enterprise eligible uh, licenses you have. And uh, this is fairly well documented on, on Docs as well, uh, how this is set up and what you get. Uh, but what I would emphasize is that so, so all of these workshops you get through that program, uh, you still have to be um, be uh, investing on this upfront. And uh, so, for example, if if a customer or a partner decides to run with uh, the minimum bar type of licenses, and then a month before go live, they're going to acquire the remaining licenses, then it's too late to have that same type of, of involvement uh, because there's not enough time to run all the necessary workshops. And then and the purpose of that program is, is evaporated. There's no sense. There's not, there's not enough time to do the workshops uh, because they need planning, they need resources, and they typically involve someone coming on site at the customer end. Uh, so, so that approach is not going to work. You need to make that investment um, way ahead of time uh, if you want to be part of that program. So there are some scenarios where um, partner customer does not involve FastRec. Uh, for their implementation. Uh, it might be that the partner is so experienced that they feel like they're going to run this themselves. They don't need the help from Microsoft. And yep. I guess that's fair. Um, but um, personally, I, I see a huge value. If you, if, you, if you have that offer from Microsoft, it just comes with a product, then I don't see any good reasons why you wouldn't um, yeah, accept that help, to put it that way. And it's sort of like a crossing the, the, the starting line with the Microsoft kind of holding your hand and pushing you along and say, there you go, now we're ready to, to start the, the race. Yeah. Uh, just to get that the quality assurance of the project. And I think from a partner perspective, it, it's really nice to have that sign up to say, look at this, our customer, like we've, we've done our due diligence and everything is, the, all the boxes are ticked and Microsoft says that we're ready to start this implementation. And I think if something happens after that, at least they have somewhere to say like, okay, well, we did what we were supposed to do. There's these are maybe inconsequential issues that that's running into yeah. it because there are some. Have you seen any issues? Like, what are the regular things? If you can say anything, like what do we, what do people forget? What do we kind of run into? Well, um, I guess uh, one thing that we see, what, one thing that is downplayed perhaps too much is doing any type of uh, upfront um, performance testing or. Uh, analysis of how performance is going to play. Uh, maybe there is this hidden assumption that this is cloud, so it's just going to scale. Uh, that's not necessarily true because uh, uh, it, it depends on how you, uh, how much users, how many users are you going to throw on the system, and how many transactions are you going to throw on the system. It's not like you're going to get uh, any any type of of implementation is going to get the same size, which is like the max size of the biggest, strongest environment. Uh, that that wouldn't make sense. Uh, it wouldn't be reasonable. And that's so, just so just asking for like scaling the right environment. Um, I'm thinking, as opposed to a, a multi-tenant solution, we're running a single-tenant infrastructure. But I'm thinking, uh, from a customer perspective, do they th have to think about scaling? Uh, think about the the cost of the scales or scaling the the solution, or is that just something they say? I'm going to use this much and I need to, to kind of set it up for me. Yeah, I, so I, I, I've, 
I'm not an, a licensed expert, but uh, but uh, um, to my understanding, uh, you have to think about the numbers of users you are you are acquiring to the product, and uh, and also um, when you do the uh, subscription estimate inside of the lifecycle services, you also tell us how many transactions you're trying to push through the system. Now, through the um, the go live assessment process, which is a process that we do before go live. Uh, we might we might question those numbers. I mean, if you think you're going to throw in 20 users, but you're going to throw in half a million transactions, and they're going to be like uh, interactive transactions. I don't know what kind of users you are using, but that sounds like uh, inhumane users. Or you, if you are, let's say you have 20 users, but you're still going to throw half a million in a batch. And it's like, okay, what is that? What are those transactions? Where are they coming from? Yeah. Are you using the product as just a way to flow through transactions coming from other some other uh, external data harvesting system. What's going on? Okay, it, uh, it, from a licensing perspective, this is important to be aware of that. That if you kind of run into these scenarios where you have an upfront system feeding information into a sales order or a production order or anything like that, you have to make sure that you have the light licenses for the people who are running an unbreaking data chain in the front. We call it multiplexing. So if you look up multiplexing in the licensing agreement, you will get into you won't get into these issues where you you. Have this this upfront scaling issue. Yeah, and I I think these questions are reasonable. Everybody with some common sense will understand that th this is just the way it works. It's not like you can throw whatever on it and and it's just going to work. So so performance every testing and 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 I mean yeah. performance testing is not necessarily something that everybody is doing it. That's what I'm seeing. Uh, but what I typically ask is at least the customer is aware that you haven't done any performance testing. And um, if the customer is signing off on that, then, uh, well, I, I typically will question that, but uh, what can you do? Uh, at least the, the, we do expect you to do uh, more or less a full UAT uh, of every business process that is critical yep. before, you, before you even think about going, going live. And, and that's just also common sense. So. Yeah, but, I, but I think of the the way that they probably license, right? Because you don't want to buy, if you're using going live with, with 400 users, you won't buy that upfront. So you're not going to have that license mass during the implementation, because then you can just go with a bare minimum. But you're saying if, if, if they start with the 20, we scale, if you buy 20 licenses, we will scale the environment for 20 users. And then when you go live, if you suddenly like push it four or 500 users into the system, um, we would have some leeway to be able to scale that environment up to the right size uh, yeah. before you go live. So how would you do that? Would you? Is there a process of, of sending that in when you where you want? Yeah, to Yeah, so every if everything around that is in in uh, in change. Uh, so this is getting more and more mature over time. So what I what I will say today might will probably not be true six months from now anyway. Uh, but but sure, um, you might actually have to reach out to support and tell Microsoft that uh, look, we're gonna add uh, another four hundred users. Or we're gonna we're gonna add a ton of uh, new load to the system, uh, and and uh, we might have to have a dialogue to see uh, do we need to have a, a scale out and does that even require some sort of downtime window? Uh, over time, this all of these questions will be uh, have a better answer than they have today, but uh, it's just the way the way it is. Yeah. Um, and I don't think from a customer perspective, you have to the only thing you have to be aware of is that you need to, if you have large increases in capacity requirements, you simply just have to kind of tell that upfront, right? Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, and, and another you were asking another thing we see, um, uh, but I, I, I see it less and less. But I still see uh, invalid use of, or, or setup of, of application lifecycle management out there. So okay. anytime you anytime you you have something that is non Microsoft, any customization ISV or any customizations delivered by the partner. Uh, if you do not have a proper ALM story, uh, then you will get hurt. Uh, and uh, I would say it's too many, too many implementations out there where there is no proper ALM story. And I, I'm not entirely sure what the reason is. It could be that uh, it's not everybody succeeded in setting it up. Hmm. Um, so, um, or it, I don't know. Uh, or it's just too easy to. Right now, it's too easy to. Um, to do this without having a proper ALM story set up. That could also be true. But then again, I also see a lot of partners out there who are really proficient and professional on this and do set it up the, the proper way. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. I think we should, these are topics that we will deep dive into later on in the, in the season. If yeah. people are interested in hearing that. So put your comments below. Oh, yeah. YouTubers say <laughs> we, we get it. Got to get better on on pushing people to subscribe and also hit that bell. If because we're we're actually transmitting this live right right now. So if you haven't kind of rung the bell on our subscription, you won't get informed about us publishing anything. At least if you're on YouTube. If you're on podcast, just make sure that you're subscribed. Right. So we'll push these out to uh, through um, the podcasting channel and as well uh, through through our YouTube channel. And we'll see if we can mm. publish this anymore. But what? We'll, Thank you, Tommy. I think we'll call it quits for the first episode uh, by this. And, uh, yeah. and uh, we'll return, uh, well, next week. I'll publish it this next week. But uh, then we'll talk a bit about um, the process of where do you go from when you bought the licenses to go live. Yeah, you can right. do that. Good. Cool. 